In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Craig's List. This is Carla. It's a Carla's List, which means there is no fake intro. What? <laughs> what do you mean fake intro? <laughs> They're real intros. We just start the show on Carla's List. Which is, in and of itself, a fake intro of sorts. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, I'm Carla. I'm Craig. And today we are going to be talking about three of my very favorite movies, The Before Trilogy by Richard Linklater. Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Is that the correct order? Yep. Okay. I know my shit. Um, and, uh, we have a special guest joining us all the way from Denver, Colorado. My best friend since the, what, this ninth grade. Ninth grade. Since we are 14 years old, Angela Peterson. Hey guys. <laughs> First podcast appearance, Angie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. How do you feel about Congratulations. it? Congratulations. A little nervous. <laughs> Angie is not a performer, although she's very funny. Much like your wedding, I'm <clears throat> the only non-performer that's you probably been on this. <laughs> don't be intimidated you know i know we're kind of podcast celebrities but we're very down to earth only craig would call us podcast celebrities um <laughs> uh, uh yeah so at our wedding angie came to our wedding and we had a show for our wedding i don't know if people know that so we had performers perform things like sketches and monologues and stories um, and Angie was the only non-performer and she was great. She did a great job. She cried really I hard. I cried really hard. Like <laughs> really ugly, breathe. ugly cry. <laughs> it was an ugly cry. Yes. It was really cute. We all cried. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been crying ever since. Yeah, man, especially today. <laughs> Craig and I are really getting on each other's nerves, <laughs> which feels perfect. Maybe it was the last movie. <laughs> yeah, it feels perfect to discuss these movies after we've just been like moved back in together after living apart for a year and are just getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the before midnight phase of our relationship. Yeah, we are. Will but we stay together? With, I don't know. <laughs> but we don't have uh, twins. Unless you count Benny and Frankie. <laughs> yeah. Who don't look alike at all, but are two dogs. They're yeah. so sweet. Those are our kids. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've been back from Portland for a couple weeks now. Angie came to visit this weekend, which is very exciting. Um, and yeah, so, okay, where do we start? What do we do next? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what are these movies? So, okay, so the Before Trilogy is a, um, they are, uh, films, uh, directed by Richard Linklater. Did I say his name right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Yep. And they are three movies that were, uh, made nine years apart from each other, uh, concerning the same two characters, right? Yes. Celine and Jesse. Yep. And Celine and Jesse meet on a train 
in Europe in 1990, the summer of 1994. Yeah. And, uh, they decide, this is the before sunrise movie, the first movie. And they, uh, spend the whole night, uh, walking around Prague. Is it Prague? Vienna. Vienna. It's Vienna. Sorry. I knew that as soon as I said I knew it was wrong. Walking and talking like an Aaron Sorkin show. Uh, no, much better. Um, (laughs) not as fast paced (laughs) around Vienna and they fall in love. And the first movie, uh, there's gonna be lots of spoilers in this episode, you guys. So go watch them if you, if you care. Um, the first movie ends with them saying that they will meet at the same place in six months. Yeah. She's they don't Fran- exchange numbers or any right. information other than their first names. Exactly. Yeah. She's French and he's American and they say they'll meet at the same place in six months. Uh, and then the movie ends and you don't know if they ever meet again. Wow. What a perfect uh, one-off romantic movie. And then t- nine years later, the filmmakers got back together and uh, in the summer of 2003 – is that right? Or 2002, I guess they maybe filmed I think it. It was released in. 04. Came out in 04, yeah. but I don't so know when then, they shot it. So they shot it summer of 2003, because okay. they always shoot it the summer before. Um, Celine and Jesse meet again, uh, nine years later in their characters' lives. In Paris. Uh, in Paris. Um, and you come to find out that, that Jesse did show up that day. And she didn't. And she didn't because her grandmother passed away. And so then it's in real time shows them walking around Paris talking and catching up. And then at the end of the movie, they're in uh, Celine's apartment and it ends with her saying, you're going to miss your plane. And then it ends. And he, we don't know if he actually does miss his plane and stay with her or if he goes back to his family in the States. Do they get back together or yeah, we don't know. What a perfect, ambiguous, you know, two movies, uh, that beautifully bookend each other did, did not need, uh, a third. And then, then nine years later, <laughs> the filmmakers got back together <laughs> in the summer of 2012 in Greece and filmed, uh, Celine and Jesse nine years later. He did stay. He missed his plane yeah. and he stayed with Celine. And they got together and they have two kids. They're not married, but they live together um, as a couple and they are having a hard time and it is no longer romantic. <laughs> well, it's about their true relationship because they're finally together. Yeah. So that's, those are the three movies before and then Sunrise. How does that end? That one ends kind of ambiguously. They've just gotten to a huge fight and they're kind of making up like they're joking around with each other. And that's how it ends in the last one. But we don't know if they're going to get, to, I, I, they're not even married. So I guess it's not that they're going to get divorced. Gonna stay together. We don't know if they're going to stay together or not. What a perfect encapsulation, uh, of a relation of a long-term relationship of knowing somebody. Well, uh, what a perfect trilogy does not need another one. So I read an interview with Ethan Hawke. What? <laughs> that said they would probably decide like every five years. They usually let it go for five years and then they decide if they're going to do another one. So they're probably deciding right now as we speak. If they're going to do another one. Yeah, because it's been six. No. Yeah, six years. So yeah. if they're going to stick to their timeline, they've got short time to figure that out. Yeah. And uh, and then we'll see. We'll see if if Celine and Jesse made it. I bet they do. I don't know. I mean, we, we can talk about this as we go through okay. them. Okay. All right. So this is the part where you would say, oh, this is what, this is the first time I saw this movie, right? 
<laughs> is it? And I don't sound like that. And- so the reason that Angie is here um, and we are talking about this is because these movies mean a lot to Angie and I and yep. our friendship. Angela is a huge Ethan Hawke fan, was obsessed with him when we were in high school to the point where I painted e- the name Ethan on her bedroom wall yep. and it's still there. It is. <laughs> In my home in Kentucky. You painted it on her wall in yeah. how how big a letters? It's probably a foot tall. <laughs> What's the font? Uh, what font was that? It's just bubble letters. <laughs> I don't know. Like glitter inside. Was it? Yeah. Now, what created your obsession with Ethan Hawke? Was it the, was it before Sunrise or did it predate that? God, I've seen him in like Explorers. And he always referenced it because River Phoenix was in it. Uh huh. That was his first movie, Explorers. It was. And then Dead Poets. Dead Poets is probably what really triggered it when I was a teenager. Angie was obsessed with Dead yes. Poets when I first met her to the point where I painted Dead Poets on her she wall. <laughs> Those are the only two things left on that wall. It's still just there. the words Dead Poets, or you did like portraits a, of no, Whitman? I think it is just Dead Poets. I think it's just Dead yeah. Poets. <laughs> yep. And I mentioned this on our Dead Poets episode yeah. that we did with Janet Varney. I think I mentioned this, but that we had a Dead Poets Society. Yes. Yep. Ourselves in our friend Marissa's For backyard. For like two weeks. For like two weeks. <laughs> Angie was super into poetry and she would read poetry to us. <laughs> so was it Ethan's performance in that movie, like his vulnerability that got to you I, or just his looks? I or? think it was just the movie itself and the fact that he's just in it. Cause I follow a lot of the actors from that movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm super happy that like Josh Charles made it and Robert Sean Leonard a little bit for house. And I mean, he's a millionaire. He's probably got more money. Yeah, than all those exactly. Guys. Oh, and Josh they, Charles, I guess. They started like a theater group. After that movie, too, I believe. So I followed a lot of those actors. It wasn't just him. But yeah. yes, he's he was the cutest. I think that's why. <laughs> you loved his greasy hair. Yes. You loved how like dirty he looked. Yep. <laughs> reality Bites. We were obsessed with Everything. Reality Bites. We watched that yeah. like a million times over and over again. Seen it once. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I did watch it recently, and I think it's still really fun. It's a great cast and the good music soundtrack, so... That's a movie that ha- that I enjoyed watching when it came out, but it had almost no impact on me. Probably. But it was like your age, wasn't it? Eight, I mean, those actors are exactly my age, yeah. you know, but I think it was for people who were in high school who were like aspirational of that, of yeah. being 20 something yeah. are the people who got hooked on that movie. That was Ben Stiller's first yeah. directing movie, right? That actually transitions us nicely into why I think that we loved Before Sunrise mm-hmm. because we were in high school. And okay, so here's my memory, Angie. We have not discussed this because I wanted to save it for the podcast. Okay, good. Here's, I don't have a first memory of this movie. Unfortunately, you don't. No, I don't really either. Except here's what I think happened. Here's what I do remember. We were in Sarah. We were. I think we were at Sarah Ludwig's house, and we were gonna go see Before Sunrise, like okay. at the movie theater. Were you so, trying to shout out to everybody? Sarah Ludwig? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't spoken to in twenty years. Uh. And, um, we couldn't get a ride to the theater, which makes sense. And I remember you just started crying because <laughs> you're, you're too young to drive. We're too young. We're probably 14 or 15. Like, let's say we're 15. I think we were 15. Well, it, it came, came out, out in 95, but yeah, but if it came out early 95, we would have been 14. True. Okay. So I just remember you sobbing 
Like you were so mad. I was not dramatic in high school. Come on. You were so mad <laughs> that we couldn't get a ride to go see the movie. And I think, you know, at the time, okay, it was the nineties. Like it's not like content is just easily accessible. No, it was at a small movie theater in Cincinnati. Yeah. Cause there was only one theater that played independent, independent films. films and they would maybe get three of them. And I, so, and I think that that was like the last weekend they were going to have it or something. Oh. So it was like your last chance to see it on the big screen. And I tried to like console you. So we ended up watching friends cause you really liked friends and that made you feel better. Um, well, thank you, Carla. You're welcome. But so, but I think the first time we actually watched it was at your grandmother's house. I think you rented On it. VHS, yeah. So Angie's grandmother would have the, would let her have these sleepovers at her house and her grandmother would just go into her bedroom and stay there all night and just let us have the run of the whole house. Uh And we were monsters. Like we were were loud and obnoxious. So loud. You would have like eight to 10 girls over and we would watch movies all night, all night long. We'd stay. We watch rated R movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. You made me watch Friday the 13th. I think I was really upset about it because I hate horror movies. Yeah. I was the only one who wanted to watch scary movies. Um, I couldn't go to sleep. (laughs) But that's when we watched, I think that's when we saw it the first time. Was that, that your sense. grandmother's? I knew it house. was on VHS. I knew I didn't get to see it in the theater. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So here's why we loved it is because we were kids and we were like aspire, like exactly what Craig was just saying. Like we were aspiring to be in our twenties. Older and independent. We just wanted to be on our own and to do our own thing. And we went to an all girls Catholic high school that was pretty conservative. Yep. And so we were, we didn't isolated. We were isolated. Well, and none of the boys that were there were an Ethan Hawk. <laughs> Well, there was an all boys school right across the street from our all girls school called Cupcath. And so we would like get to do plays with them and occasionally see them at dances, but. But half the boys that we hung out with were gay or turned into priests. Yeah. <laughs> so our yeah. options were limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so. That you- is true. We did have a lot of like. People who ended up being friends. homosexuals or, yeah. or who were homosexuals or they ended up like one going into seminary. Priest, yeah. So. Yeah. Or both. Or both. Yeah. Actually, one of them was both and he dropped out of seminary. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about him. So you were looking for a Jesse in your life. Yeah. They weren't and there. Boy, is there a Jesse in this movie? There is such a Jesse. <laughs> um, so that was our relationship to the first movie, right? Yep. Okay. So here's what's so cool about these movies for me is that because they're just a generation before us, every time I see one of these movies where I'm at in my life, I feel like this is what I should be anticipating to happen next in my romantic life. Yeah. Or you're already in it, I think. I wasn't in it. No. No. When I saw the second movie, I saw it with my boyfriend, Andy, who was like a long-term boyfriend of mine in my early 20s. So they were supposed to be in their early 30s and I was probably 23 or 24 when I saw the second one. And I remember I took him to, I made him go with me to see it. And he was like, Oh, I don't want to see this movie. And he ended up liking it afterwards. Cause it's a great movie. It is. Um, so tell us your experience with the second movie. <laughs> Do you want me to tell that one story? Is yeah. That why? Yeah. Well, it wasn't the first time I saw it. Right. I went to see it in the theater at Piper's alley. Cause I used to live right in there. Chicago. Yep. And I'm pretty sure I saw it alone. I'm not positive, but I'm almost positive I did. Cause I, it's a hard movie to see with other people if they haven't seen the first or mm-hmm. if they're not excited about seeing it. And I remember, so I had forced my then fiance to go to a Fiona Apple concert with me. <laughs> so this would be like 2006. 
Yeah. Summer. So it was a couple years after the movie came out. I believe so. Yeah. Cause I don't know why, but I really had a desire to watch it. It was around my birthday. We went to the concert. I had drank a lot. The, I love French martinis and that was my drink of choice at the time. <laughs> they go straight to you. So I think I had two or three. It was not a good situation. So I watched the movie. I got really emotional. We were engaged and. <laughs> The movie made me rethink my whole life. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, I knew I was going to get sick, but I was still in um, in my head and freaking out about getting married and decided that I was going to take my engagement ring off and throw it across the room. Wow. <laughs> and poor Dan sat there for all of it. So we're married and happily married, but... <laughs> Sure. But he doesn't like you to watch these movies. He doesn't if I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. So I am not allowed to have French martinis and watch this movie. That's the rule. We watched these three movies over three days, yep. by the way, which... To this weekend. This yeah. weekend, yeah. We, we rewatched them. Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. Um, I remember them being all like an hour and a half, but uh, the one is super short. Sunrise, sunset, sunset is an hour twenty. Shorter. The other's like an hour forty, an hour fifty. So they're they're not, you know, they're average length for mm-hmm. uh, for a movie. Um, but this seems like why are we not always doing it? We watched over five hours of movie over three days of like why is it so hard to watch these Craigslist movies? Oh. If we were able to accomplish this, well, because these are good movies. <laughs> that i'm interested in and a lot of nostalgia for us a lot of nostalgia like angie and i have watched these movies together a few times but the most recent was probably five years ago right before the third one came out yes i was visiting you you were living in baltimore and And my husband hadn't seen them and dan you were like you're gonna watch these Yeah, he did not want us to watch them (laughs) he was like really mad and we made him sit down and watch them with us and i think he fell asleep or he didn't he didn't like I, them. I think he watched them, but he doesn't care for them. Yeah. He doesn't like talky movies. It's, you know, he likes more, um, like Shawshank and, uh, sorry, blanking on other movies, but he likes <laughs> movies where it's, it's like a life lesson. It's sure. very, it's very constructive. Like you, you know exactly what's going to happen next. And, and what the point is, what the yeah, theme of it there's is. There's a resolution to everything. Cut and dried, good and evil. Yes. The, yeah. Yeah. So these are not his cup of tea. So that's the last time I watched these. And then I went to see the third one in 2013 when it came out. You were supposed to go with me, Craig, and we got into a really big fight. Is that true? It's very true. Because when we were talking about it, I was like, we saw this together, right? No. That's like, what you remember. But I know for a fact that we didn't <laughs> because I then went to see it by myself at the Arclight and – uh I was like devastated throughout it because the couple's just fighting the whole time. And we had just had a giant fight. (laughs) And I saw it alone after having my first kid. So that was kind of (laughs) emotional too. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Well then I must have seen it by myself. I think, I don't think you saw it at the theater even. Did you? I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Then you must have gone by yourself. Yeah. I saw all three of these movies in the theater. Oh, I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So those are our, um, experiences with, I, the first one I remember, um, when we were kids and we watched it just feeling so 
devastated at the end, not knowing if they ended mm-hmm. up together or not. Like, I just couldn't believe that the filmmakers did that to us. I was so upset. And then when I got older, I thought how, what a great ending it was. Yeah, but at the time, I just remember being like, how can I live without knowing if Jesse and Celine yep. meet up six months A lot months depended from now? on it. Yeah. <laughs> You're you're not used to uh, movies ending ambiguously at that point in your life, right? Yeah, you've seen mostly the the standard movie arcs uh, mm-hmm. where everything is given a uh, a nice resolution. But I I think the the beauty of ambiguous endings in general, and particularly when it's a romantic thing, is it really is kind of a litmus test of who you are. And they even talk about that yeah. in the yeah. second movie because he's written it's his. Uh, he's adapted it into his book, right? Right. Is yeah. it the second movie or the third movie where they kind of talk about it being like, are you a romantic or a cynic? You know, based I think on... they do both actually. Yeah. yeah. In the second, they talk about more of how you perceived his writing from the book. Yeah. Cause it, cause in the third movie, he's written a second book, which is the second mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, so there's kind of a nice meta commentary on the movies going through Jesse's, uh, novels. Yeah, so so we find out in the second movie that Jesse has become a writer, a successful novelist, and he wrote this book about Celine and their night together. And he's doing a book reading uh, at Shakespeare and Company in in Paris, and Celine shows up, and it's so great <laughs> <laughs> because you don't know if they. So you like, I think we stopped it at like ten minutes. Uh, because I was like, when it was, when it was revealed that they didn't meet up six months later, finally in the second movie, like the first 10 minutes of the movie, you're not sure if they met up Mm -hmm. or not. Cause she's just standing there looking at him and he's kind of smiling at her and it kind of feels familiar. And so you think, oh, maybe they did see each other. Maybe they've met every year since then. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And made, yeah. But then you find out 10 minutes in like, oh no, they haven't seen each other since that night, nine years ago. And, and she asked him immediately, did you, did you show up? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like every movie, they kind of do that to us. They give us satisfaction and the answers that we want right away, which yeah. is so good. Um, but they don't force it. I think it's very, it's very easy and it, it seems like it is part of their conversation too. Well, in the third one too, he's with his son right away. Mm-hmm. And so we know that they're like at the airport and that he's sending his son home and that we get the sense that he doesn't see his son very often, but we still don't know if he's with Celine or not until like six or seven minutes into the movie. And then he walks outside and she's standing there waiting for him Yeah, with their kids. We suspect that they are together because we know what the movie's going to be. Well, watching it through the filter of like having seen, seen it before, but also when you, when they came out and seeing the trailer and it's like, well, they were together or whatever. But like, if you just watched the first six or seven minutes of the movie and hadn't seen the trailer, you wouldn't really know if he was with Celine necessarily. Yeah. Cause they don't talk about Celine at all. He's just sending his son home to his mom. Yeah. It's cleverly done. Yeah. Well, uh, I've seen each of these. This is probably the third time I'd seen each of these movies. If you would ask me just based on my memory though, I would have gotten a few things wrong. I definitely thought they were married in the third one. I did not Me remember too. that detail. Yeah, I kind of forgot that as well. Um, which is interesting, it actually, is interesting. that they've chosen not to marry despite having six or seven year old twin daughters and have been, uh, together all that time. Uh, 
I also like maybe vaguely remember all three movies being in real time, which they're clearly not. Only the second one yeah. is, but there is something about that tightness of the second one that's really effective. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, it creates a, uh, a tension, you know, of knowing that he's constantly, uh, needing to get in his limo to go to the airport to go back to the the states you know and they keep wanting to prolong their conversation and uh that you know they have to like call his driver have them pick him up and then the the driver's going to drop her off at her place uh wait the tell the driver to wait so he can go up to her place you know so uh it's riveting yeah it is But I mean, there must be some people that this is just not their cup of tea at all. You know, things that are this talky and philosophical too, because they talk about, uh, love and romance and sex and just philosophy of life and dreams. And, uh, I think there's some people who instantly will have that button pushed of like, this is pretentious. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I think it's changed now because of technology. Like the first one was set in a time where, would the second one he asked her for a cell phone right yeah the first, the first one, one there's no cell phones obviously nothing. so they just have to talk to each other yeah which is great and then the second one he's like do you have a cell phone so it's like around the time when maybe people some people do some people don't yeah yeah so i think dating and you know creating a relationship with someone with the first two i don't to me it doesn't seem i don't know it's my it's my kind of movie so i <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. one of the things where to me it like seems perfectly natural that you would talk to someone for that long if you wanted to get to know them. But I get it. Because now this day and age it's probably a whole other courtship rituals yes. now. And then in the third movie though, she's on her phone constantly. And he turns it off at one yeah, point. Yeah, he turns off her phone at one point. That's right. Yeah, I mean this is kind of a mile marker clearly for you guys in your life, you know. Yeah. I imagine you hope there'll be another movie. I hope that you hope there'll be a movie every nine years. Oh, I hope so. I think it would be fun. I think there will be. Yeah. I mean, I it, think it's too like just knowing that they're ambitious people. Yes. You know that why wouldn't they? It doesn't make sense that they they're would. They're very stop. dedicated to those characters too. And you know, Linklater and Hawk pulled off Boyhood too. You mm-hmm. know, shooting that over what twelve years or yeah. something like that. You know, mm-hmm. made a fifteen-minute movie every twelve years. I mean, we maybe talk a little bit about that. I mean, that that's similar, uh, a similarly ambitious project in Linklater's career. Um, but it's similar to when we covered La Dolce Vita. I don't know if you guys remember our very first episode, but there's still I, one of my favorites, <laughs> especially the improv at the You end. know, it's a hit. It's a hit. Um, but I remember talking about Roger Ebert's wonderful essay on that movie where he talks about kind of revisiting it every 10 years of like, uh, movies stay the same, but their viewers change, you know, right. and how he's kind of used that at different points in his life. Uh, as he gradually got older into about the age of Marcello Mastriani's character, uh, and then got older than him and started mm-hmm. pitying the character, mm-hmm. you know, like it starts out aspirational, then it becomes of like, I am this guy, then it becomes I was this guy or never was this guy. <laughs> like it's, it's interesting. And also of like you guys as teenagers, like mooning for Ethan Hawke, it felt like watching <laughs> particularly the first movie, 
I mean, it's really a through line of like how sex obsessed he is throughout all three movies. But it, it felt like at points during the first movie, like you're kind of grossed out by his game a little bit of like, <laughs> yeah. by, by how much game he's trying to work the whole time. Yeah. You know, it was. Uh, but I mean, you're talking about a 24 year old guy of right. like, that's true for any 24 year old guy who's backpacking across Europe by himself and picking up a girl and probably true to Ethan Hawke, you know, <laughs> yeah. or at least to this fictional character, Jesse. I don't know how close he is. To he Ethan might Hawk, be pretty close, you know? <laughs> in terms of the talkie. Um, yeah. But now, like being uh, women in your thirties, like looking back at this twenty-four-year-old guy, <laughs> you know, it's more like, oh, you know, of like, <laughs> I know all those moves, you know, know of like, uh, I mean, it's still romantic, certainly, but you know, you can put it in a different context. I yes, think. you definitely can. So they do kiss in the first one. They do have sex in the first one, though none of that's shown to us. Correct. But they, it's left ambiguous. It, yes. Mm-hmm. But they do kiss um, on screen a couple times, I think. Yeah, quite yeah. a few times in the first movie. And then in the second one, none. they don't kiss at all. That's why it's the best. Which is amazing. The sexual tension is so high in the second one. <laughs> and then the third one, like, it's full on... <laughs> yeah, but it's completely different. <laughs> it's completely different. It's yeah. not the same as the first. But it's just so interesting that they made the choices that they like the one the one where they're actually the most distant is the one where we see them be the most intimate on screen. Yes. Which is so such an interesting choice, I think, and can like really and I think that goes along with the whole like breaking down romanticism and like it's not it doesn't it's not always that romantic. Sex maybe isn't romantic at all. <laughs> Well, yeah, the final movie, I mean, they're a long-term couple. Their friends get them a hotel room for the night so they can be apart from their kids, you know. So it's almost like the pressure of just like, oh, we're in this nice hotel. Like, we've got to have sex, you yeah, know. Yeah. And then they start getting into it. You know, her top is off for about 10 minutes of the movie, yeah. you know, to the point where just like her exposed breasts are like are, are not erotic in any yeah, way, yeah. you know. And then it segues from them trying to make love. Uh, into being in this full on argument, you know, yeah. before she finally kind of like puts her dress, uh, back on, you know. So, I mean, it is kind of like underlining like, uh, the mundaneness of like being yeah. in a long term relationship and even like being nude around each other right. is just like. Well, in the first one, they don't have the capability of having a room or a place to have sex. Yeah. They end up doing it in a park. And in the third one, they're given a place and the time and they, they, can't yeah it's like a fight just to do that yeah so i mean i think there is a romanticism in a weird way to the third one too because it is like the romanticism of like just being with somebody for a long time and knowing everything about them and like that level of comfort and that really is what a marriage although you Celine and Jesse, you crazy kids, you should get married. Uh, <laughs> not, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it feels like a marriage, right? Yeah. You know? Yes. So, I mean, there, you know, it's not movie romanticism, but it is a romanticism of, of sorts, you know? Yeah. But, the, I mean, that's what's interesting to me. Is, I mean, many things. I mean, this was so instructive and interesting to watch all three movies. They're all great. Uh, but they're not on your list. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Angela. Thank you. Check mark. 
But they I think only, I asked you this months ago too. I said, "Are any of these movies on your list?" <laughs> but they only like cr- create more resonance with each other the more you start to cross-reference them and everything. Mm-hmm. Of like, they're so well constructed. Well, at the end of the first one, when he's in her apartment, and you're like, "Oh, is he gonna stay? Are they gonna hook the up?" The second one. Sorry, at the end of the second one. Thank you. Um, she makes him tea. And like they both are drinking tea. And then in the third one, she makes tea as she's just for herself. She doesn't offer him any. Yeah. And she's like, as she's fighting with him, she's like sipping on her tea. Or I don't even know if she drinks it. She no, just makes they, it. I think she just holds it. They even pour wine and don't have any. And then, yeah. So the first, but in the first movie, they, they, um, go into a bar and Ethan Hawke asks the bartender for a bottle of wine and he promises he'll send him a check. And she steals a couple glasses and they drink this red wine and, make love on the in the park mm-hmm. and then in the third one he opens a b- bottle of red wine pours it and neither of them drink right, the wine right. and when she leaves the room the hotel room this is something i wouldn't have never noticed if i hadn't watched these back to back but when she leaves the hotel she storms out of the hotel room in the third one he's just sitting there and then link later does inserts of the tea not being touched and the, the wine not being touched mm. just that was so fascinating i don't know i mean i'm assuming he did that on purpose it's just such a brilliant yeah, thing some things are purposeful or some things we're reading maybe into, but yeah, I think that was doesn't purposeful. matter. Yeah. One thing I love noticing and watching back to back is that before sunrise, uh, ends with, you know, they've gone their separate ways. We f- follow them on their different trains heading back to their different destinations. We don't know, but then there's uh, a sequence of still shots, of all the places in Vienna that they visited over the course of the movie with, without anybody there. Yeah. So like, there's kind of like this wist, this romantic wistfulness of like, these were our places, these were mm-hmm. our places, these were our mm-hmm. places. And then before sunset opens with still shots of Paris, all the places that they're going to go mm-hmm. in the movie. We see, we see Notre Dame. We see yeah. the Highline walk. We see, we see Shakespeare and company, you know? And so it's kind of foreshadowing of like, here's an empty place that needs a romantic couple in it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I'm in a movie club with some other dudes, super nerdy. And I missed our last, uh, meeting. Uh, and, but, uh, my friend picked, uh, Everybody Wants Some by Linklater, which is his movie about a bunch of, uh, baseball players, uh, at the University of Texas, you know, inspired his by last, his college That's days. his last release, right? Uh, he had Last Flag Flying with Steve oh, Carell and right. Lawrence Fishburne came out last year. Uh, but I loved Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, I did too. Um, and, I guess a couple of the guys, somebody in the club did, did not care for the movie, like thought it was too like aimless and didn't have like enough of like uh, movie arcs, you know, Mm -hmm. like a story to it. Like, where's the story, you know? Um, but, uh, one thing that I was talking about with regards to Linklater is how much craft actually goes into being able to look that relaxed, (laughs) you know? And, that he almost pur- purposefully is not going to give you any traditional uh, movie trope, you know, like he kind of avoids them to just show real life. But it's really hard to authentically do that. And I was just watching them in these three movies. I kind of feel like this is as good as acting gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people may think that there's an improvisational element to it because it looks so relaxed and grounded and real, but I guess everything is so meticulously written and rehearsed and there's no improvisation involved 
at all. That's what the, yeah. the behind-the-scenes stuff seemed to imply. Yeah. Yeah. Like even with the positions, <clears throat> if their backs are to the camera or if they're facing <clears throat> each other. And those like side looks <clears throat> he gives her all the time. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> so I, I saw the first one when it came out in the theaters. Uh, I remember liking it, but I went just went and looked at my 1995 list, and I had it 17th for the year, which oh. seems way too low. Agreed. Um, but it, it was, uh, 95 is an unusually good year for movies, actually. But, what else? What else? What's at the top? Well, seven. Okay, did that one. <laughs> uh, Dead Man Walking. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen that. To yeah, Die For. To Die For. I love Babe. Mm-hmm. Safe. 12 Monkeys. Mm, 12 Monkeys. It's a good, good year. Yeah. Um, Toy Story. Usual Suspects. Oh, wow. Um, but, I, but I'm going to move Before Sunrise up to number seven for the year, wow. I think. Um, but I went to Vienna two years after this movie came out with Second City. Mm-hmm. Uh, we toured there and played the English speaking theater there. And I remember when we met, uh, at our producer's house to have like a little celebratory dinner before we were leaving, he put on, uh, before sunrise. And I don't think we really watched it. We just kind of had it on in the background. And I had, uh, I'd not really been to Europe at that point, uh, in my life. I went to Spain when I was super young. Um, so this was like my first like real European trip, but I guess I wasn't really conscious of Vienna, mm-hmm. uh, watching the first movie. Um, but that kind of reminded me of like, oh yeah, that was set in Vienna. And then I did end up going to the Prater, the amusement park and went to some of the places cool. they went to, certainly walked along the Danube. I'm sure their tourism went up after this movie. I bet it did. It's a beautiful city. What other Craigslist movie is set in Vienna? The Third Man. You're right. <laughs> I only know that because you said it. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> because there's that famous scene of Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton riding the uh, the yeah. Ferris wheel, and he has that speech about the the Italians uh, had all this bloodshed and warfare, and had all the great art, and the Swiss uh, have had peace for a millennium, and would they invent the cuckoo clock? Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys have talked a lot about Ethan Hawke. What about Julie Delpy? What do you think of her? I think she's great. I did think she's great. I love Two Days in Paris, too. Yeah, I did, too. I think there are some things that I remember about Two Days in Paris that I thought were before sunset. Yeah, because yeah, there's I can the, see that. There's the thing of her parents are right. in it. They're not playing her parents in Before Sunset, but they have a brief cameo appearance, and then they actually play her parents in mm-hmm. Two Days in Paris, right? Yeah, yeah. They're hysterical in that. Book. And it's like a relationship and a yeah, romantic and they're arguing and yeah. But going on dates, like they go to a don't they go to like an art exhibit exhibit or something? Yeah. Like their past follows them there kind of. It feels like another shade of Celine possibly. Yeah, I can see that. Well, then she did 2 days in New York with Chris Rock. Oh yeah. I don't remember liking that one as much. That was yeah. not as good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I liked him in it, but it was kind of a weird watching them back to back. Celine really changes much more than Jesse does as she gets older, which is really interesting. And I, it, it's implied in the third one that it has a lot to do with her becoming a mother. Yeah. She brings that up a lot. Yeah. Um, but even for the, from the first to the second one, like she seems so sweet in the first one and, um, very romantic and kind of wide eyed. And then in the second one, it seems like she's been hurt a couple times, yes. you know, and she's much more cynical about love than even, than even he is. And he's in a bad marriage. 
you know, yeah. like he still seems more romantic um, in the classic sense of like being naive. And it's also kind of a commentary of people's perceptions of women as they age too, mm-hmm. because like that's her main concern in the third one, right? Of like, am I still like a sexual being, you know, or just like an independent person who yeah. can who can make my own decisions for myself and not have to, um, you know, make decisions for her life based on her husband or her significant other, rather. Am I invisible now? You know, yeah. would you notice me on the train? Like yeah. that, that, that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, he's being a man, he's still allowed to like, you know, talk about sex and be horny and, you know, write books and talk full. He's still like, he's the, like the idea guy who like in all the movies, like, Hey, I've got this idea of like, what if it's a character? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. He's never know? turned that off. Yeah. Um, we should say that uh, the first one was co-written with Kim Creason. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one was too, I think. Uh, though then Hawk and Delpy got writing credit on just the third one or the second no, and the, the third second, one? second and the third one. Because they were nominated for an Academy Award for the second one, I believe. And for the third one. Oh, yeah. and for the third one. I read that they also did a lot of the writing for the first, but they didn't get credit for it. And they were pissed mm. about it, right? I think she was. Yeah. Came out much later. Hmm. Yeah. Well... We have a lot of quotes, people. Oh, I won't pick them all, but there was a lot of talking it going really on. Was. I didn't feel like I was talking hardly no, at all. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, this is why we're not doing that. When we do a Carla's list, we're not doing the Craig's quotes anymore because I don't say anything during the no, movie. you were very I, quiet. I noticed. I just watch, listen, and learn. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but... We've got a lot of Carla's quotes and Angie's observations. <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. And Angie's observations. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't know which movie is which because I put in Sunset first Uh-oh. when we were supposed to watch Sunrise. We, we, we did figure it out. We did watch them in the right order, but... Uh, at the beginning of the movie, when Ethan makes his first appearance, Carla said uh, to Angie, look who it is. It's your boyfriend. It's your boyfriend. <laughs> and then Angie said, uh, after watching him for a little bit, he does a lot of mouth breathing in this one. <laughs> By the way, I once saw Ethan Hawke on the street in New York. I might have said this on this podcast before. We did together. Oh, you were there. I forgot. <laughs> And then didn't you make him follow him a little bit? Yeah. I was like, let's follow him. We were in Chelsea. Yeah. And it was, it was like, it had been a snowstorm. That's right. And he went into his house. I know it was his house because my uncle lives in Chelsea and said that he used to see him all the mm-hmm. time in the neighborhood. Um, that was it. He just. And then when I went to visit you, you're like, let's walk by it. Yeah. She came when I was staying with my <laughs> uncle one time a few years ago and we walked by it, but I think he'd already moved. I think he lives in Brooklyn now. Oh, okay. That makes I read sense. that somewhere. I should also add that you guys went to the movies yesterday and saw another Ethan Hawke movie. Oh, yeah. We saw four Ethan Hawke <laughs> movies. He's killing it right season. now. Yeah. He's doing everything. And you asked me if I want to go, and I'm like, that might be a little too much Ethan Hawke for me. <laughs> Never enough Hawke. <laughs> Never enough. I could watch him do anything. 
I, I really like him. Carlos made this vacation amazing because I don't get to see anything. <laughs> Any adult <laughs> so movies? Get, no. Yeah. And now I get to see four Ethan Hawke movies in three days. We so. should say because you have a five-year-old, not because yes, you're just too. watching kids' movies. <laughs> not because my husband's banned me from watching them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're already kind of anticipating cr- couples growing old together because the first movie begins with a German couple arguing on the train, which is what gets them together, you know? So, I mean, it's kind of an accidental book ending, but it's still interesting. Well, I don't know? think it's accidental. Ethan Hawke said when I, in that interview I was reading, when they were asking him if they were going to do another one, he was like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of perfectly ended because we opened with a middle-aged couple arguing and the last movie ends with a middle-aged couple arguing, Yeah, wow. which is what we become. And he was like, so I don't, I would, he was saying he wouldn't be disappointed if there wasn't another one. Hmm. I bet there will be. I mean, rule of threes. I do love, uh, the idea of the rule of threes. I want to see them in their fifties. <laughs> I mean, it, the thing is, is that based on the timeline, it would be when the characters are exactly 50. Yeah. This next one. Yeah, it would. His first like idea that he pitches for her is basically like people doing, uh, vlogs. Yeah. Right on YouTube. Yeah. You know, so like that's a weird kind of uh, anticipation of something that is totally a thing now. Yeah, he's like, I have this idea for this thing on the train. Everything he pitches, I feel like, is a Richard Lanklater movie. Yes. Like it would be something he would do a movie on because like Slacker was kind, not kind of like it wasn't a sit down. I'm telling you a story, but it's snippets of everyone's stories in a path. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention we watched Waking Life, too. Or the part with... Just the scene. There's one little scene with their characters in Waking Life, uh, which is obvious. Is it a dream? You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it exists in the timeline. It's not canon. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like if these characters were dreaming together, this is the conversation they might have. Yeah. It's a cool little scene. And it's Jesse and Celine. Yeah. And they're animated because it's Waking Life. Yeah. And we see them together. After the first movie. Right. So it gives the audience a bit of satisfaction that they're together. This is only six years after Dead Poets Society, by the way. Of like He, he grew up quickly in that time. Yeah. You know. Um, was it, it was after Reality Bites, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. I think when he, he pitched her the idea of like getting out and like walking around together, Angie said, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it does now. <laughs> Especially the, I mean, I, I love, I love traveling with you and I love walking around cities together, but the idea of like walking around all night and not having a place to sleep of like, uh, that is, that sounds awful to me. <laughs> I'm reading this book that you bought for me called Flanus, I think mm-hmm. is the French word. And it's about, um, people who walk through cities and like, that's just, that's what they're called. Like that's their title. Like a, a person of the city, not like a prostitute, but like, <laughs> Um, somebody who just gets a lot of joy from being on the streets and hanging out on the street and seeing the city in that way. And I totally consider myself that person because my favorite thing to do anytime I go anywhere is just walk the city. And so I think that these first two movies especially really scratch that itch for me in terms of just having these characters walk around and be like, there's a part in the first one when they stop and they watch some guy playing music in on the his, harpsichord on the harpsichord yeah. in his basement through a window and then they start dancing in the alley. Like that's so beautiful to me. And yeah. that feels like such a city thing to do just to walk the city and look in somebody's window and see what they're doing. Just happen upon. Yeah. Nothing planned. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't remember any other characters in the first one, but there are brief interactions. Like I like the scene with the two guys who are in the play. Yeah. yeah in the cow play. And then there's the fortune teller and then there's the bartender. And the, the poet. Yeah, that's yeah, right. They interact. The, a poem. Yeah. Who does the reincarnation monologue? He has one in the beginning. He yeah. He doesn't understand how we could be reincarnated if the population was smaller. That's right. And now we're much larger. So yeah. half souls. We yeah. have half souls. And then it's kind of revisited in Waking Life, right? Yeah. A yes. similar idea. Carla said, this blew my mind the first time I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> it did. I was like, oh, that's why we're all fractured people. Well, we were also like an environment that that wasn't spoken, like in our religion growing yeah. up. Like people didn't talk about that and think that way. There's a shot of uh, a rabbit walking across, uh, running across a park. And Carla, of course, said, think that rabbit's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) That rabbit was dead that night. (laughs) (laughs) At some point, regards to Julie Delpy, uh, you said, now I want to make out with her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think we were talking about how bad of a kisser Ethan Hawke looked like. Right. But how we wanted to make out with him the first time we saw it. They didn't look like they were having actor kisses. Yeah. They looked more, you know. Like he was slipping her the tongue. Yes. More intense. Yes. But then I said, yeah, now instead of making out with him, I'd want to make out with her. (laughs) Julie Delpy, a year older than him, by the way. I know. Uh, She's two months younger than me, and he's uh, about a year younger than me. He looks older than you. Ethan Hawke? Yeah, I'd say so. In this new movie, Juliet Naked, that we just watched, he looks older than you. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, we have we have diverged. I'm getting younger and hotter. Um. <laughs> well, okay, I didn't say any of that. <laughs> uh, what is you are Stardust? Oh, that's the uh, oh, fortune that's the teller. fortune teller. That's the fortune teller. Yeah. It kind of le- leaves them with that thing of like you are Stardust. And Carla said, "I love it. That's me." <laughs> <laughs> I think we're free. We're free. You would play the fortune teller. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the fortune teller in that movie. Uh, yeah, Celine is definitely different in the third movie, but I think all throughout in all three movies of like, she has like a wonderful ability to kind of call him on his bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so that there's, a, there, there's this attraction and also friction between them, which is also part of attraction. Right? He calls you know? her out on some of her idealism too, even though he comes off as such an idealist. He's a bit more of a cynic when it comes to the... In the first one, he's more... Yeah, he's more cynical, it seems like, in the first one. Mm. Or more... I don't know if cynical is the right word, but more um, like... uh, Suspicious. Suspicious, yeah. yeah. Mm. And he calls her out on that a lot, I think. And she becomes much more suspicious as the years go on. (laughs) Um. They go randomly into a club and start playing pinball. Carla said, this seems so absurdly cool to me, uh, this scene. when Yeah, I remember because we didn't ever get to do anything on our own. No. I mean, yeah. You're kids. We were kids. Like we would go to the mall, I guess. But like there was no such thing as like a cool coffee shop or, a, you know, and also just a bar. Like we weren't yeah. allowed to yeah. go to bars. So just the fact that they just went into this bar and were playing pinball and just standing there talking and drinking beers and playing pinball. I was like, this is so cool <laughs> how weird is it now that cincinnati has a huge hipster population and even like covington kentucky like has like a cool stretch yeah it's weird it is weird <laughs> but there's still like 10 years behind everybody else. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there is a uh, a really cool arcade in cincinnati now like a old school arcade really 
Is it a, yeah, bar? a bar? A barcade. Yeah. There's a couple of those in Denver. Is that where we're going to hang out when we move back there? Boop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the, they keep up their conversation constantly, uh, obviously. Uh, so, and the, in the pinball game, they're constantly lose like they lose like after every ten seconds. She loses they, they, they keep straighting off. Uh, Carla said, "I can't talk this much when I'm playing pinball. <laughs> You'd have to concentrate more." <laughs> yeah. Well, you also said the pinball machine looked like it was in slow motion. It well, I mean, it's it's just that's what machines were like back mm. then. Of like, it was super slow. Like it just took forever for the ball to roll back down. Also, in the third one, she references the scene. Well, she doesn't talk about it directly, but she talks about how you have to let men win. So she in the third one, she's saying like mm. she was letting him win at pinball. That's right. Yeah. But if you go back and look at that scene, she doesn't does look not, like it. Does not look like it. She doesn't look like she knows how to play at all. No. Uh, she finally uh, has a longer monologue at some point in the first movie and you said finally he shut up and just listened to her for a minute oh really he definitely dominates the conversation in the first one and she definitely does in the third one and the second one she does in the second one too Uh, but all throughout Definitely the first movie, definitely the second movie. I don't, I, I didn't watch the entire third movie with you, but Carla was doing a lot of, oh, a lot of isn't that romantic, uh, sighing throughout. Um, hey buddy, give me that weird cow necklace you've got. That was the bartender. Oh yeah. In the first one. <laughs> you had a cool necklace. <laughs> you can cut some of these. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of this is so romantic in the sense of it's, it feels so young and innocent to walk into a bar and be like, Hey man, see that girl over there? I'm crazy about her. I can't afford, I don't have any money left. I don't, I don't have any money for a bottle of wine. Is there any chance that I can send you a check? We never got any closure on that. And the, but he actually yeah. paid him. <laughs> but then the bartender being like, Okay, sure. <laughs> it's just so romantic yeah. that he's like cool with it. Yeah. Um, that's a bit of a movie thing. It is, but it isn't. I mean, you said that you did that, right? Well, I was in Michigan and I went to a store and I saw a pair of earrings I loved and I didn't have any cash or credit cards or anything on me. And the person actually said, it's okay. Send me a check. I mean, this was like five or six years ago. That's wow. insane that people yeah. have that trust. And I was like, yes, I will do that. Now that I was like, oh, well, I can't get it. You right. Know, not a big deal. Now it was, oh, you trust me that much? I'm going to prove to you I'm yeah. trustworthy. <laughs> and it is just the difference between being cynical about something or being optimistic. Like, it's just the most optimistic thing for him to walk in and yeah. be like, maybe this guy will give me this bottle of wine. Yeah. It's so young and beautiful and sweet. <laughs> uh, we're not young and beautiful and sweet anymore. <laughs> we're old. We're middle aged and we're cynical. And we would never ask for a free bottle of wine because why would they ever give it to us? <laughs> uh, he has this thing in the first movie of like he's only, uh, everything he's done, he's been there. <laughs> yeah. Like he's been there obvious. for every, everything in his life. He's been there for everything. So like people are sick to death of themselves because they're always around themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Carla said, that's me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they finally, uh, are lying, uh, down in the park next to each other and, and they, le- they lean in together to kiss. Uh, Carla ruined the moment by saying, oh, 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 God, I just came in my pants. 
Sorry. And then you signed off the first movie by saying, ah, beautiful. Moi. <laughs> Uh, before sunset, we're in Paris. Can I just say real quick that going back to that Ebert thing of how, you know, watching La Dolce Vita, he it changes for him as he gets older. Yeah. Like watching the end of that movie, like I said before, when I was younger, it was just like, oh, this is so upsetting. I don't know if they're going to get back together. Like how yeah. can we end this romantic movie this way? Watching it now, um, just even remo- removing the fact that I know that there's sequels and I know what happens, like watching the end of it now makes me so sad, equally sad, but in a totally different way where I'm just like, Oh, I'm older now. Mm. Like I'm not that age anymore. Like that time in my life has passed me by. Like I'm never going to feel that way about somebody again. <laughs> it's yeah. true. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why I had the reaction to the second one when I was drunk. <laughs> yeah. Like those, that, that promise of like that, new beginning you know yeah. like that's or that not... like you'll never have that first kiss again yeah or that nervousness of will or will they won't they call me text me you know yeah. stuff like that yeah well the first one is like that that just animal attraction of just like you see somebody you feel something for them but you know nothing about them and it's just the kind of the getting to know each other yeah. slowly revealing parts of yourself uh trying to impress them you know um, trying to put on a persona of, of sorts, you know, uh, the second one is kind of, I mean, it's been nine years. They haven't seen each other since then, but it is kind of like the thing and like, that's the difference of the flirting when you've already made up your mind of like, this is the person. Mm-hmm. You right. know? Yeah. So like on, in the train in the first one of like, they like each other, but they don't know, is this the person? The second yeah. one they do, you know? Yeah. So then you flirt differently in, in that case. Yeah, but you it's know? still nine years later. So they're also like, there's the complications I, of life. I like this person nine years later. Yeah. Are they different than they were nine years ago? So there's, there's actually, it's more tentative in a yeah. way, you know? Yeah. They're, they are kind of, even then, like, slow to reveal information and to tell the truth uh, to each other. I think even, I, for me, the second one is even more about, inst- it's it's less about, are are they the, the same kind of person? And more about, do they feel, like, Celine thinking, do I still feel the same way? Yeah. And she does. And I and think it surprises her. Reason. Yeah. She's showing up to, to either put this in her past or revisit that small possibility yeah. that they could be back together. And I think that the, that's what's and specifically with Julie Delpy, like you can tell that she's conflicted. Like when he pulls her on his lap. Yeah. And, and she's like, well, she also knows really embarrassed. Well, of course. Yeah. But it's also like that conflict of like, I do have feelings for this guy, but you it's, know, it's not sweep me up in your arm. She immediately recoils when he pulls yes. her onto yes. his lap. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting reaction, you know, mm-hmm. and like in, even though you can tell she still likes him because she still sits next to him, mm-hmm. absolutely, right. But in the, the the fantasy of just like the man sweeping me away and pulling me onto his lap, but of like when the reality happens, like oh, I don't know if this is right, yeah. you know. Um, they do kind of call out the thing right away of like I was mad we didn't exchange phone numbers, and Angie said that was a little unnecessary, don't you think? And Carla said no, because they didn't exchange fucking phone numbers. <laughs> I would. I was really mad about that. It's interesting that that she has all all of these lines in 2004 about the world is going to hell. You know, <laughs> like this is the Bush uh, Cheney administration. Yeah. You know, um, we're in a different world is going to hell. 14 years later, 
but as she's saying that, Carly said, as this guy is just spraying the sidewalk with water. Yeah, he was like, this not guy's like waste, anything. wasting water in the background. <laughs> what did, what does she do exactly in the third one? Is she works in, in, in the environmental? Yeah, she's still doing environmental work, but it sounds more, um, political. More like she's working. It sounds like she's about to take a government job and she's been working for nonprofits. Yeah. I think that's the conflict in the third one, right? Yeah. And she says, I think in the second one, she did work for the government and it was bad or something like that. Yeah. That was my. That she wanted to work for nonprofits. Uh, we walked some of those areas when we went to Paris on our honeymoon. Yeah. So. Even though it's in real time, I mean, I know that they do have some cuts. I think Andy sure. was saying like the longest take is 11 minutes yeah, or something. in the second movie. But I don't feel like those places are that close to each other. Are they? Like the bookstore isn't that close to the High Line, is it? No, I don't think so. I felt like that was cheated. Yeah. Notre Dame is definitely right across the river from Shakespeare and Company. Right. But they go to the High Line first and then they do the Notre Dame thing. Yeah. I'm sure somebody has written whether the geography checks out or not. Yeah. You know, go to IMDB, uh, uh, continuity errors and, uh. Does it bother you that much? It does because, um, Notre Dame, we stayed around Notre Dame and we had to take a train to get to the High Line. No, it doesn't bother yeah. you that much. We keep calling it the High Line because that's what it is in New York. I I don't know what they call it in Paris. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same thing. Basically. Well, it bothers it's me a- because it's real time, right? Yeah. So, true. So we're if if they had cut around the day, that wouldn't bug yeah, me. Yeah, because the first one it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. But there are some long, long takes in yes. all of these movies. I mean, it's very impressive. And also, I don't know how long that High Line is there. So there, it's very possible that. Maybe it does. Maybe it does go that far. Also, it bugs me after having been to Paris and been to that Bucks book, that Buck store. The Buck store. The Buck store, the bookstore that it's so tiny in there. Um, There's no way they could have had a signing table. There's no way. But you, if you see it when there's the long shot or, you know, a wide shot of that room, they actually, um, the table, it's just a a table, not a table, but like a a slab of wood put on top of stacks of books. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So if you go back and see it. <laughs> um, which I thought was really interesting, but I just remember being in there and like barely being able to walk around. Also, Paris was when we were there. I, it was insanely crowded everywhere that we went. Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know how they did this in summer. Yeah, yeah. Like that's very impressive to me because it was so crowded everywhere we went. Hardly anybody on the boat ride that they go on, right? Yeah, like they're just walking through the streets and occasionally somebody's passing behind them. Yeah. Like I don't know how they did that. <laughs> I guess they must have shut down the streets to do it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the only way to do it. Yeah. Well, those behind the scenes we saw, there was, what, 10 people in yeah. front of them. Three yeah. with cameras. Like, they have multiple cameras. So, Do you think these movies reveal Ethan Hawke's real game <laughs> in talking, talking to ladies? I think he talks a lot like this in interviews. <laughs> yeah, it's like stream of consciousness sometimes and... You're really stuck on Ethan Hawke's game. <laughs> Are you trying to formulate I it? I want to learn. I want to learn from the master. <laughs> uh, uh, this For is a, real. Craig's talked way more about his, Ethan, Hawk. Ethan Hawke's looks and his Keep going. I'm fine prowess, with it. Prow, prow, prowess. Um, Why can't I say that? Maybe word? I'm just trying to impress you. <laughs> prowess. I said it right, didn't I? Yeah. His prowess. Psh- uh, here's Carla's, uh, 
final thought on before sunset. Oh, it's so romantic. Boo hoo hoo. <laughs> uh, we have to talk about the final scene because it's so amazing. It is. So he's sitting Whoever there. Whoever had that idea deserves a gold star. Yeah. It's so good. It's so wonderful. He's just sitting there on the couch watching her and she's dancing to Nina Simone and she's like acting like Nina Simone basically. Yeah. And she, and she says, you are going to miss that flight. And then it cuts to Ethan Hawke and he says, I know, or something like that. Or yeah. yes, I am. He yes, says, I know. I know. And then he smiles and it goes back to her and she kind of smirks and she ke- keeps dancing. And then the, it cuts to black. It cuts so good. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite endings to a movie yep, ever. Agreed. Because you have more of a sense this time. Like it just feels more optimistic than the first one did the ending. You know, yeah. like it feels like, oh, they really could end up together, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. But it still doesn't answer it for you. It lets you decide on your own. Yep. It's a better ending than any of the movies in your list. It's a good it, <laughs> It's a good ending. I've had a lot of great endings on I my list. I don't know what you're talking about. You're choo- willfully choosing to forget. <laughs> um, so before midnight, nine years later, they're vacationing in Greece of like he's staying at some writer's house on yeah. some fellowship or whatever. Uh, they're saying goodbye to his 13 year old son from his previous marriage, sending him back to the States. So that's part of the conflict of, uh, are we, you know, he wants to be closer to his son. She wants to stay in Paris. He maybe wants to move to Chicago. He feels or- the guilt of his choices. In life. Yeah. I definitely don't get the sense that he wants to move to Chicago. I think he, just feels terrible that his son has grown up without him. Yeah. Oh, Angie noticed something cool uh, right away, which is the son is wearing uh, Chuck Taylors, which is what Ethan Hawke is wearing in the first movie. Yeah. And then uh, saying goodbye to the the son uh, and how traumatized it, uh, he is by kind of saying goodbye to him. Uh, Angie said he wasn't thinking about this on the couch, was he? <laughs> <laughs> And then, then there's a whole conversation about being led by your dick, like later, <laughs> later in the movie, yeah. which kind of underlines that. And Carla during that scene said, Ethan Hawke is such a good actor. <laughs> they have our Toyota RAV4, by the way. They do. The exact car that we drive, I think. We should is- have an argument in it later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we have. We've honored that movie About many times. About a job that you're like, I'm not sure if I want to take this job. <laughs> exactly. You guys notice his voice is lower and scratchier in this. Yeah. Yeah. Here's Angie on the twins in the backseat. They look like they're from a horror movie. <laughs> she said they look like conjoined twins at one point. <laughs> his latest novel, I, I couldn't even write down the t- whole title. It's so pretentious, right? It's like temporary cast members of a long-running uh, yeah. production. Something. But it's... I mean, it's meant, meant to be ironic, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think he knows it's a funny title, but it, it's, it is almost like sending up the pretension that people think these movies have. There's so many more characters in this one than there are in any of the others. Yeah. There are. I didn't dig that as, as much this time around. Oh, I did. Um, you're wrong. Because it kind of contrasts them with other couples of other age groups, yeah. right? There's a very elderly couple. There's a, a couple a little older than them, more middle-aged, been together longer. And then there's a couple of young lovers, mm-hmm. right? And they have this long well, and the older lunch couple scene together. aren't together. Yeah, they're just friends. But they're yeah. talking they're, about they're their dead spouses. That's right. like widowers, yeah. yeah. So they're kind of almost back to a dreamlike state about 
their relationships yeah. because they miss their spouses so much. Exactly. I, I, I love that. And I loved even more this time, the separate conversations that Ethan Hawke has with the men and, um, and then Julie has with the women and then the other guy, uh, just showing you like, it's so great because the other two movies, it's just the two of them having these long conversations or these deep conversations. And Ethan Hawke is talking to these men in the scene the way that he would have been talking to Celine in the other movies. Like he's pitching them ideas and like talking about, you know, the thoughts that he has about what he wants to be writing. Yeah. And you can just imagine, I, th- I think what you're supposed to be imagining is like Celine rolling her eyes. Like she doesn't want to hear it anymore. So he's right, talking right. to these men about it instead. But and he, she's talking in a different language to these other people because he can't speak other languages. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just think, I think that's a really interesting way to set up their relationship for the third film, where they are in their relationship. No, that's cool. I guess I, I didn't think about it that way. I guess I just missed the purity of just them mm-hmm. having a long conversation, you know, but uh, maybe the, the, obviously they decided they wanted to mix up, mix up that energy mm-hmm. a, a little bit for the third one, which is probably a, Smart choice. Yeah. Uh, cause then, you know, they have a long conversation in the car and then we meet their friends and we do that for about a half an hour. And then like the last hour is, is another walk and talk, you know, yep. of, of just them pretty much in real time. Right. Uh, I think I did like, you know, the, the Greek guy is the guy who's calling him out a little more on his pretensions or at least just being like, I don't know, man, I, I wouldn't read that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I like the older, uh, writer is like, well, what does he know? He builds bicycles for a living. Yeah, he's yeah. encouraging <laughs> him to keep going with his ideas too <laughs> yeah sweet i i guess it my thing is that that these other folks are perfectly nice but non-professional actors and to me it only contrasts like how good ethan hawk and julie delpy are just by comparison oh i thought that they were very conversational and very easy to watch yeah i agree okay uh <laughs> so you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> they also don't dominate that conversation when they're all having dinner, the other couples do. Yeah. And yeah. I like that, that they, they're forced to observe other people talking. Yeah. At those points. And the moment that they do have focus, they're about to start their giant yep. fight mm-hmm. and like it gets catty. interrupted. Yeah. 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 You can see like little precursors to their fight. Like she pissed. Like- she is pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that l- lunch scene is a little like Woody Allen of just like a bunch of couples like kind of talking about art and sex like uh, at a uh, at a table. It's interesting. Basically, everyone has to talk in uh, English because Jesse is there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where everybody else, the the older guy uh, is obviously English, but have like has lived in Greece for years, you know. And everybody else is European, you know. Yeah, we can talk various true. languages, but they're all talking in English for Jesse. Um. And then, like, they start airing their dirty laundry at the table, like, a, a little bit. You yeah, know? yeah. That's what I mean. Like, they start to get into it in a way that's really uncomfortable. She really, she's pissed in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Were you sympathetic to her? Because at one point you said, oh, she's just asking for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I found it harder to watch her this time yeah, than I felt agreed. last time. I felt more even the last time. And this time I was like, wow, she's really digging at him in a way that like makes me uncomfortable. I remember the first time watching it and thinking he's done something and they're just not talking about it yet. Right. Yeah. And nothing really, I mean, they bring up some stuff later, but there's not, there's no like one thing that she's really trying to pull him down for. 
it's alluded to maybe each of them had an infidelity, but it's not, but it's again, left ambiguous, you know, but that's not even the issue. Like there's so many other things that they're arguing about. That's obviously weighing on her. Yeah. That that's not even the issue. So I remember when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, there's something big they're building too. Yeah. Being happy that that wasn't really it. Mm-hmm. That it wouldn't be a typical movie like that. It's when they check into their hotel room that uh, that the fight kind of starts in earnest, and this is where Carla said, "Uh oh, now shit gets real." And then yeah. uh, when her boobs were out for a while, Carla's like, "It's like not romantic at all." <laughs> uh, and but then they're trying to like get into it, and they have kind of like this whispery bedroom talk, which you can't really hear. And Carla said, "I can't hear anything they're saying," which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we watch the end separately. So, uh, I think the last half hour, uh, I had to leave. So you guys watched it. Uh, so you guys kind of watched that whole fight scene, uh, by yourselves. Uh, how'd you like to have the room next to them at the, this hotel, <laughs> by the way? Be pissed. <laughs> Cause it gets kind of a loud fight. It does. The main thing I notice about the fight is they're both making good points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's, it's, it's a hyper realistic, fight Mm -hmm. you know it's a very rare kind of scene to see in a movie of like you're not sympathetic to one character or the other and then there's some scenes where i mean it's unpleasant because it's a fight but of like you hear things that they're both saying and you're like yeah he's right yeah Yeah, she's right you know (laughs) yeah uh and i think you made a point angie that or, or maybe this was in the interview that the they're both trying to get the last word in, right? They're trying to punctuate the argument in some way. I think that was an interview. Yeah. And then every every new thing they say twists the knife a little more and mm-hmm. it only prolongs it. But they're they're both trying to They just know the button to push. And so when she goes for that button or when he does, you immediately are like, Oh no, they went there. Yeah. Like you just know it. Well, you, we were talking, Angie and I were talking after we watched it yesterday, um, and you were saying how you felt like, um, there was like an ebb and flow of the argument where they get really nasty and then they cool off for a second and joke around for a second and then they say something again that is nasty. And I think in, I don't know, for me in real time, that's, it's not going to happen that quickly. I have to like walk away from the situation and come back to it, but for the sake of the argument and for what the situation is for them, I think it it's still natural. Yeah. And then a lot of this the shit that comes up, you can tell that he's not exactly saying it the way that she's saying it, but it's how she feels. Right. Like the guilt of her knowing that she's a part of the reason why he's not with his son mm-hmm. and the fact that she's not willing to move closer to him to change her entire life. That's weighing on her, and that's why she keeps bringing it up. Yeah, yeah. And why she, she wants feels guilty. Yeah, she wants Jesse to make a commitment that they're not going to do that. Right. But he keeps like every year. Apparently, this is something that they have to argue or discuss. Right. Every time he sees his son, and they're they dealing with the consequences of their choices. That's a really interesting reveal when she says, "This happens every time you see him. You drop him off. Or you he drop has to him go off. Back. Yeah." Um, and then you realize like, oh, this isn't the first time they've had this argument. They've had this many it's times. Old shit. <laughs> and I think something to go back to what you were saying in terms of like having to walk away to cool down before you can like joke around about it or whatever is true. But I think why the reason it works for me in this movie 
and feels believable is because they're on vacation. Like this isn't their house. Like this isn't their home. They wouldn't just be able to, you know, go to their local coffee shop and cool or whatever. Like they don't know where they are necessarily. Or go to your quiet nook within your own place. Exactly. Like they're in this hotel room together. Most parents, you know, debatably good parents wouldn't have those arguments in front of their kids. Right. And now they don't have the excuse of their kids being there. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that fight they might've had in the car when they're asleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they can't escape it. You know, things get stored up mm-hmm. that you aren't able to say in the moment mm-hmm. anymore. Yep. And you hold on to it's them. It's too real. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find the ending to this one romantic then? I found it sweet. Yeah. I found it very sweet. I don't know that I would call it romantic. I agree. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was trying to think if this is the second or third time I've seen this one. I don't know, but I remember the first time I saw it, I thought for sure they were going to break up. Yeah. But then when we watched it yesterday, I thought, oh, maybe they will stay together. Yeah, I agree. I think depending on when I've seen it, it's only been the second time I've seen it. The first time I did think I thought more darkly about the ending. He's trying to turn on the charm again. He's trying to like role play and joke around a bit. She's playing into it a little bit, but also keeping a bit of a barrier up. Yes. But the last moment is her giving into it and her being like, tell me about that time machine, you know? And she's playing the bimbo voice that she was doing before to to mock him. But now she's doing it to kind of acquiesce Mm -hmm. to him. To flirt with him. Yeah. It's a really tough. It's a really tough movie. It's really sad. I can see it going either way. If they make a fourth one, I could see honestly though. I mean, really, I think that, if they make a fourth one, they would probably have broken up mm. and it would be them coming back together nine years later for like their kids like graduation something. or something. Yeah. I agree with um, that. I mean, if there's if they're seven, so that's 16. So maybe it's like a 16th birthday party for their kid, for their girls or something, you know, yeah. like some sort of marker in their girls' lives. If they're going to make the fourth one, because that would be story wise, I think the most interesting choice. Yeah, I agree. Can you consider these movies separately or are they all kind of like, are they all a unit? I think you could watch them separately and enjoy them. I agree. I just don't know why someone would watch like the last one and not watch the first. You know what I mean? I I don't think it would have the same meaning. The first one is the easiest one to stand on its own, certainly. Yes. Yeah, I think they're hard to kind of consider separately. Um, I think that, I think they work really well collectively. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say that I my favorite is probably the second. Mine too. Mine too. All right. <laughs> I think just in terms of a movie with the beginning, middle, and end, um, and the way that it's shot in real time. Yeah. And just how comfortable you are with the characters right away. Like they already know each other enough that they're not yeah. getting to know each other necessarily. You know? Well, they both – I think it's – even though the third one is very – heart-wrenching it's like the second one they are spilling their guts even more Mm -hmm. they're admitting um their failures in life to each other and how they're they're regretful of how things ended in the first one Mm -hmm. so i think that's why i like the second one the most if you were to make a top 100 would all three of these movies be on it oh sure yeah really yeah yeah so a is all around A's for me, 100%. Yeah. A's all around. What about you? I think I go A minus A, A minus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, li- I like them all and re- recommend them highly. 
Yeah, I would go A, A plus A. I think I have, uh, oh, <laughs> so some A pluses in there. <laughs> uh, I think I have Sunrise, as I said, seventh for its year. I had Sunset at number six for its year and Midnight at number five for its year. Oh, wow. Um, but that's, you know, obviously I prefer this, the second one, but you know, some years are just more competitive. Yeah, sure. Than sure. Uh, than others. Sure, 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 sure. Oh, and her songs in the second one we should talk briefly about. Okay. Just when she the one she plays for him? Yeah. She plays him a waltz mm-hmm. and it's fucking romantic. It's so cute when it's he hears adorable. his name. His it's, eyes like pop open. Yeah, it's one of the most romantic scenes in a movie I can think of. Yeah. Mm. Well again, she's like bearing her heart to somebody she already knows she's lost. Yeah. Ugh. And it's her version of uh, his novel, basically. Yeah. yeah. He wrote a novel. She wrote a song about yep. the same thing. Yep. Yeah. I actually love that scene in the third movie where the desk clerk wants him to sign the books and then wants her to sign. She really doesn't want to no. fucking sign Yeah. And later the books, she's like, you're you never, know. ever allowed to use me in one of your books ever again. Or anything that I say. Yeah. And he's like, well, you marry or you're with a writer. I keep saying yeah. married. They're not married. You're with a writer. So I take whatever I want from life and and write it but it it really is the first uh or it, it, it's a strong indication of the the stress of living with an artist and them turning your life into art and how much she resents that yeah you know yep Ooh. luckily we're both <laughs> artists so right <laughs> i've done that to you i put you in my solo shows before <laughs> And you did. The last time you saw one of my solo shows, you were like, I can't ever watch this again. Oh. I didn't say that. You did. Yes, you did. Because <laughs> I told the story of how he broke up with me. Oh, man. You used me partly in the show, too, and you didn't even know. <laughs> Remember that? I didn't know it was you? No, because you had that bit about um, the Beatles, and you were like, I thought that was somebody else. And I was like, The no, Beatles? It was in your Sweat Lodge show. Oh, no. That was Marissa. No, it was me. <laughs> Because I saw a Hard Day's Night with Adam, and he's like, who's that guy? And I was like, oh, no, this is never going to work. Yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't did remember one of the Beatles. It was George Harrison. <laughs> I thought for sure that was Marissa, no. but I believe you. Wow. Well, you, you're clearly the Jesse in our relationship, and I'm the Celine, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, do you want to improvise a scene? Okay, sure. <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> Not, a, you know, they're walking and talking, but they're also like hyper literate and like uh, philosophical. And I just think a Craig and Carla walk and talk would not be as articulate. Okay. As them. So. Great. Let's talk. Um, I think we're supposed to take a left up here. I don't want to use GPS because I just want to follow this map and just explore this cool european city great well you always decide what we do so i'll just follow you what i miss that i mean you always just decide without asking me just assume i'll just follow you oh, i'm sorry do you want to where where do you want to go you where are we me. again <laughs> we're in uh prague we're in prague yeah. i want to go to that church you know the one <laughs> the what church are you talking about carla Okay, look, I know that I don't necessarily believe in God, but I don't believe that there's not a God either. So all I'm saying is just because I can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. What if we're all like, uh, there's like an elderly woman and she's dying and we're all like just thoughts in her head. But then like, where is she? 
I don't know. This doesn't hold up. I hope it's Meryl Streep. I would love to be a thought in Meryl Streep's head. <laughs> really? Rather than a real, like, corporeal person? Yeah. But, like, so I can't see Paris right now. Like, I can't see the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. But I believe it exists. <laughs> right? Because Meryl Streep has thought of it? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, with the God thing. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I've totally lost your train of thought. Um, I'm, just because I'm being very deep right now. I'm Googling Prague Church. And, uh, I thought we were in Vienna. <laughs> we're in Prague. <laughs> we talked about this. <laughs> All right, you well, wanted to go to Prague, but I think you were thinking Vienna the entire time. I would like to go to Vienna. Well, we're in Prague right now. Okay, fine. Let's be in Prague then. Do you want to get a beer? I'm drinking one right now. Oh, I, sorry. Your object work is so bad. I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. They have really good beer here, right? So like when I ask for an IPA, I say I'd like a light IPA. And sometimes bartenders are like, that's not an IPA. IPAs aren't light. But what I realize is that I need to be saying I want a light bodied IPA. And then when I do that, they give me the right one. Oh, light bodied. So not like light in color. Right. Yeah. (sighs) Hope everybody speaks English here. (sighs) Ah. I need to, I need some time alone. Can we just be quiet for a while? Let's just be quiet for a while. I need some time alone. I'm going to go off on my own for a little bit and walk. I'm going to be a flanoose. A what? A walker, a street walker, not a prostitute. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Feel free to put your top back on at any point. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, guys. Angie, thank you for joining us. What a delight. (laughs) Angie, we'll see the next one together, huh? Yes, we need to make a point of that. I think we tried to do that with the last one, too. Yeah. Or you were on me. You're like, when are you seeing it? Right. Because you didn't have many people to talk to about it. When when would it be? What year would it be? 2022. So that's only four years from now. Yeah. 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 What is it then? We'll be 42. (laughs) Oh, God. The next one's going to be what? Before what? Before morning. Before morning. Do you think so? Isn't that sunrise? Yeah, exactly. Before Before 8 p.m. Before lunch. Before lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So they're just going to be hangry the entire time. Uh Right. Before nap time. Before happy hour. (laughs) Uh, Angie, you want people to follow you on social? No, I don't have anything. <laughs> You've got an Instagram. I do. It's good though. You're it's actually a photographer. You're a photographer. I am. I do weddings and families. Um, I think it's DocuDay Photo, right? I'm so bad at that. I don't know. You're, it's your brand. Yeah. And then Carla's <laughs> trying to treat, teach me Snapchat. <laughs> no, I'm teach, trying to teach her Insta stories. Oh, I don't that's do what Snapchat. It was. Yeah. Snapchat. <laughs> what is, what is there to learn about Insta stories? How to press the button. Yep. <laughs> I was like, how do you get it to stay longer? I don't like when people's stories cut away too quickly. <laughs> I'm old. Well, you're not old. Because if you're old, then I'm old. And I'm not old. <laughs> right, Ethan Hawke? <laughs> oh, that's right, Carla. <laughs> Thanks for uh, seeing me and Juliet naked. Oh, God. That sounds like Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> Columbo. You mind if I practice my game on you? Oh, that's not Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like 
Uh, I just got one more question. Uh, it sounds like the dad from Punky Brewster. Oh, <laughs> uh, Punky. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> what are you thinking that's of? definitely it. I don't know. All right. Well, Craigslist, thank you so much for tuning in for this special Carla's List edition. We did three, three of Carla's favorite movies. Um, but on- and I think you can all agree that they're all fantastic. Hey, they're all great. Craig's listeners, please weigh in. Do you think the before <laughs> movies are great? Do you think they're pretentious? Have you seen them before? Will you see them again? I'm so jealous of people who haven't seen them either. Because they, they get, get to get experience to see- yeah, for the first exactly. time. I agree. And I'd love to steer you to Waking Life, which is my favorite Richard Linklater film. Are you serious? Yeah. That's you your- can't be serious. I am serious. Ugh. You're crazy. It got all the philosophical stuff from the before movies, but with animation. No, you should see Boyhood if you're going to see something else other besides the trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> or Days, Days and Confused. Confused. Okay. I feel like you guys are ganging up <laughs> <laughs> on me. This podcast is called Craigslist. Or School of Rock. This ends the Carla's List portion. <laughs> or Bernie. We have I haven't seen Bernie yet. The 25 greatest movies of all time still coming up on Craigslist. Uh, we've, uh, and we've got Amadeus with Becky Ward. Amadeus, Amadeus. <laughs> coming oh, up next. Good. So, uh, thank you, Angie. Thank uh, you. And thank you, Craig's listeners, for tuning in. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>